talk yesterday in Phoenix, and this is my third one today, so if I glaze over, don't judge me. <laughs> no, I am. Um, it's actually easy to talk about this. Uh, this is something that's really dear to my heart. And I'm sorry Rob's having to go through the Antifa thing. You know, it's, uh, people aren't happy. They're not happy in this world. They're not happy with their lives. When I was in Afghanistan, I was trying to help Rob understand why Antifa does what they do. And I remember coming, we had made a long drive from Kandahar to someplace else and been the wrong place, wrong time. And we were exhausted. We get onto this Ford operating base, me and my buddy, we're playing clothes. And we just want to retool, get more ammunition, food. And we heard they had guacamole and pecan pie at the defect. So, you know, real altruistic modes being there. And we pull on the base. And all of a sudden, as soon as we clear the security checkpoint, we're on base, we're driving, and some, you know, freshly minted lieutenant walks up to our truck and knocks on the window. And I didn't think we had broken any rules on that base yet because we had just driven on it, so I didn't know what he wanted. And we rolled down the window and said, can I help you, sir? And he said, uh, you need a wheel walker. Now, anyone that's been in the military, if you haven't, wheel walkers are Big Army's idea of safety. They feel like if someone's walking beside the vehicle and the vehicle does not go past the person walking, then you're at a slow enough speed that you won't hurt anybody, which is real important on a forward operating base that's getting shelled. Uh, it's just the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And when I saw it, I looked at my buddy, and I'm like, bro, what, what gives? And my buddy was a former Marine officer, and he and I had been through a lot together, and he looked at me and goes, bro, it's simple. When you don't have anything important to do, the unimportant becomes important. Kind of like Antifa. And Rob, I think if you save money on posters, just contact the parents and tell them that they can make more money leasing out their basements and couches when they leave, and they won't have a place to come back. They won't have a base of operations. So it's one way to deal with Antifa. But in all seriousness, I was thinking about the turmoil in our nation today, and it's really been heavy on my heart. I'm new. Rob says I was, I fell away for a season. It was a really long season until I was 45. And I lived in my head. I've talked about it before. And I was trying to build a kingdom, just not God's kind of my own. Which a lot of people are trying to do in America today. And they're trying to do it in Switzerland now too, in Davos. But I wanted to understand from a biblical standpoint what's going on. Because I know I don't have all the answers. But what I look at is really complicated. God looks at it and goes, it's ridiculously simple. And so I went to the Bible. I was reading one day in Ephesians 2, 14. And it says, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the nimity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death, again, the enmity in us. And I read that, and something in my heart, the Holy Spirit hit me really hard. And I was so excited, but I had to figure out what enmity meant. I kind of knew what it meant intuitively, but I really wanted to know the exact definition, so I looked it up. And tell me if this doesn't describe our nation today or what they're getting ready to deal with. It's a deep-seated, often mutual hatred. A feeling or state of hatred or animosity. The quality or state of being hostile or feeling a condition of antagonism, ill will, discord. Man today is living in nimity. Enmity. You don't pronounce the nimity. In total discord. We have one group against another group. We have one faction against another faction. Our founding fathers warned us about this. But it's happening today in America. And so I wanted to understand what is the root cause. Because a lot of times we see content and we make a lot of judgments off that content, the discord, without the context. Why and how? And what can we do about it? And I, I do a lot of reading and a dear mentor of mine turned me on to a book that was written in the early 70s. Never heard of the author. 
And my father, who's a brilliant man, I called him and I said, Dad, have you heard of this guy? This guy, E. Stanley Jones. And he's like, oh my gosh, this guy's one of the most brilliant minds, like a C.S. Lewis. I've never heard of him. <coughs> Excuse me. So I got the book. And now for those of you that are millennials, it was a book. Binding words. Most millennials think a book and they look at their phone to find it. You can't find it on your phone. You got to buy the book. It's in the 70s it was written. And I started reading it and something jumped off the pages at me and just grabbed me. And I want to read it to you. It said, man needs nothing so much as he needs something to bring life together into total meaning and total goal. Life for the modern man in East and West needs something to give total meaning to an otherwise fragmented life. Modern man needs an absolute from which he can work down to the relativisms of the day. A master light of all his seeing. Modern man is being pushed, pulled, beckoned, enticed, bludgeoned from all directions. He is being pushed from relativism relativism. He is confused, the most confused and yet the most intellectual person, intelligent person that has ever existed. Modern man knows everything about life except how to live it. Nothing describes 2023 more. What I used to have to spend hours, days, weeks studying, you can now push a button on your phone and get. We have the most intelligent society that don't know how to live, that don't know how to get along. And that made me want to dig deeper. You see, the name of the book and that what struck my attention is Unshakable Kingdom and the Unchanging Person. And Christmas Eve, we were up in Montana at our home there, and we went to church at some church. It was a good church. It was a nice Christmas Eve service, nothing special. I mean, it was special talking about Jesus, but nothing, you know, supernatural. Yet in that service, the Holy Spirit hit me, and all I could hear was, it's about the king. And I couldn't get it out of my mind. I'm not a spiritual person. But I am someone that is sold out to Jesus Christ because I can't do it any other way. And so when the Holy Spirit hits me, I have to listen and I have to figure out what's going on. So I started reading and I found this book and I read that. And I realized something. God came and he gave us an unshakable kingdom on earth. And today we're missing the mark. And so I wanted to understand why we're missing the mark of God's kingdom on earth. And why is the king so important? I mean, think about it. We just had Christmas. The king has come. The wise men came to worship the king. It seemed like the whole world back then had it. They knew it spiritually, supernaturally. This is king. Jesus Christ is king. But what does that mean? Now, I went back and I've looked at Job. Now, in full disclosure, I, I bet you all been worried about the Job effect. At some point or another, you're like, please, God, don't make me Job. You know, don't test me like that. You know, I, I believe I don't want you to let Satan, you know, have his way with me. And as I was reading Job, and everyone knows the story, I realized that Job missed the mark in verses 3 through 31 because Job was righteous. He was morally righteous. He knew God and he had faith. But what he didn't know, because he had no way to know, was God's perfect nature and character. He knew the law, and he kept it. He had faith. He believed in God. He knew God was real. He was a righteous man. But carnal wisdom, man's wisdom is never enough. And at the very end, in the last part of Job, God reveals his nature to Job and restores him. And when I was reading that, I was reading that, you know, Job spent all his days learning about God, but he didn't have the chance to really get to know God. 
But the king changed all that. It's now not the same as learning because we have the opportunity to know. We don't just have to read it. We can have Christ, the hope of glory, the king living in our hearts and knowing him, the person who is the perfect representative of God's nature. You know, it says in the Bible that your days were numbered, that God wrote your book. You have pages in your book. That's your purpose. That's what God designed you for. And what better way to know your purpose than to know not just what's in your book, but the author. You can ask him questions anytime. That's what Jesus Christ did. He came so we can know. And we must see God's character in our human character, in our operations as humans. Because if we don't, we'll see something like we're seeing today. Like the church is showing today. They have all the principles of God. They don't have the person. It's not enveloped into their character. And nothing's going to get you through the storm and the stress of today. Other than the person. Jesus Christ. So we need to see his motives, his actions, and his reactions so we know how to live. And when I was trying to pull these concepts together, it came back to me on that Christmas Eve. I got to know the king. It's the king. It's his kingdom. And I was thinking, you know, you think back to the Bible, what you read, and it says, he that has seen me has seen the Father. So I need to know God and his kingdom. The only way I'm going to get to know that is through the king. How do I know the king? He lives in my heart. And I thought about, and we all know this verse, you got Matthew 5.33, it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and, not or, but and, his righteousness. The exact translation is his moral righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. And it struck me, I mean, I read that verse a thousand times, and now it was like, kingdom first. I want God's kingdom. Why is that important? So I dove into the scripture. And that's what produces life. Kingdom king is mentioned over 500 times in the New Testament. And right now we're living in a life that is so dynamic, so emotionally and physically numbing. And so morally irresponsible that our society is popping at the seams. And we're all trying to fix this problem. We're all trying to understand those relativism to relativism. And we don't know the root cause. We know everything about living life except how to live it. And how Christ lives through us and pulls us into the kingdom. Now, it's not that modern Christianity doesn't believe in the kingdom of God. Big evangelical, big Eva, believes the kingdom of God. The problem is today... They've taken that kingdom of God and they've reduced it to fit them. God never reduces his kingdom to fit us. He changes us. He alters us to be a part of his kingdom. And he does that with Christ through us. Because he is the kingdom. He didn't merely expound it when he came to earth, Christ. He exposed it. Men saw it. They didn't merely hear it. They saw it lived out because the word became flesh. Jesus Christ, the king. And the kingdom of God doesn't identify with anything but the king. It doesn't identify with color. It doesn't identify with race. It doesn't identify with anything external. The kingdom of God is all about the king. So I looked at that and I thought, okay, what makes it different? I mean, the kingdom of God can take things from the church, some good things, but the kingdom of God is much more than that. The most inclusive thing in the world is the kingdom of God. It's unique in quality and quantity. The problem is today, we define kingdom and church as quantity, not quality. How many people can I put in these seats? 
So when I started understanding what the kingdom was, I needed to understand what was the difference between earth kingdom and God's kingdom. And I'm not trying to be metaphoric. I'm trying to be real with you. If you really want to understand what's going on in your nation today, what's going on in your family today, what's going on in your life where you feel like it's spinning out of control, I think we can all agree we're in a spiritual war, right? Which is really cool. We're in a spiritual war. Intellectually, we know what's going on. So why are we fighting a spiritual war with secular weapons? That's what we're doing, even in the church. We're trying to use God's principles. We're trying to use kingdom principles without the actual king to fight the war. It's not our design. It wasn't how the kingdom was designed. So I'm going to tell you something that's radical because the kingdom of God is the most radically designed concept in reality that has ever come down. I'm a person that has grown up on radical things. I surf, I kite surf, I snowboard. I've done all kinds of crazy things because to me, the more radical it is, the more fun I feel alive. Let me tell you something. You step into God's kingdom, which is here and now, you won't even begin to understand the joy you'll have and how radical it is. Because nothing and no one is beyond the scope of the kingdom of God. Nothing's beyond its purview. And for all you out there, most important, no one is beyond its redemption. The Bible talks about it, and it's funny. I heard, when I heard king and I started looking up kingdom, that's pretty much all the Bible talks about. Christ died, rose again. He spent the rest of his time talking about the kingdom. But there's a difference between earth kingdom and God's kingdom. Everyone hears the word totalitarianism now, right? We hear it all the time. Did you know that the kingdom of God is the perfect example of totalitarianism? total submit, submission to one, the king, in my heart, the hope of glory. But earth, and that produces a pure, unadulterated joy. It produces purpose. It produces life. All other kingdoms, totalitarianism, the kingdom of communism, produces decay and chaos. Now, you have earth kingdoms, you have to communism, but how do you hold that together? You hold it together with force. You take away the force, the kingdom crumbles. I was there when the wall went down. That was around my time. Everyone thought, oh, Russia's going to do great. They crumbled. And they split off. They fractured. Because man-made kingdoms, fascism, Nazism, communism, all you find is bondage. And in God's kingdom, his complete and total rule, all you find is freedom. That's what we want today. That's what man wants today. So how do we get it? Is it some metaphoric, esoteric goal that we're going to find in heaven? Because that's what the church has reduced it to. They've reduced the kingdom of God to the goal that we get to when we die. The only problem is scripture doesn't talk about that. I mean, you're going to have that. But the kingdom is on earth as it is in heaven. God preached the kingdom. John the Baptist preached the kingdom is now in the present. And the difference is, the kingdom of God is unstoppable and cannot be shaken. Hebrews 12, 28 says, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Do you realize you live right now in a kingdom on earth that's untouchable? You do it when you get the keys from Christ in you. And so I dug deeper because I really wanted to understand why this is. Because I heard those words in Hebrew rang in my mind. The kingdom of God is unshakable. Well, I'm going to compare it to the others. Kingdom of communism, shakable, falls apart. What about the kingdom of capitalism? When Eisenhower was president, he had a heart attack. The moment he had a heart attack, the stock market dropped $4 billion. And this is a long time ago, so it was a lot more than that now. Just for he had a heart attack. That kingdom, capitalism, shakable. How about the kingdom of of health. I think in 2020, we finally realized the kingdom of health is shakable. I really was a calling time for the church because when the tornado of COVID hit this nation, a lot of the pastors saw that tornado, all the shepherds with their sheep, and they dropped their shepherd's crooks and took off straight to the storm cellar. 
They left. They left. There were piles of shepherd's crooks as far as you could see. Not at this church. Your pastor stayed and stood strong. So those pastors, because their kingdom had been reduced, headed to the storm cellar. And when the storm passed, they emerged from the storm shelter. And they went to find their sheep. The problem is when you're in that kingdom, the sheep were kind of wandering around and they had kind of changed their coats to a more inclusive rainbow color. And the pastors wanted them back in the fold, so they promised not to notice as long as they came back. As long as they sat in the chairs. But the kingdom of God is unshakable. The kingdom of God is explained when the Bible says, when the wolves come, the hirelings drop their crooks and ran. But true shepherds stay and fight. They stay in a battle. But to be in a battle, you have to recognize that you're, to fight in a battle, you have to recognize you're in a battle. And right now, you are in a battle of the spirit. You're seeing the collateral damage from a battle in the spirit that started back in Genesis. You are seeing a battle that started with sin attacking the kingdom. When Adam and Eve fell, we understand they fell into sin, but you need to understand something. If you want to live in a kingdom and you want to understand the king, you need to understand who you're fighting against. You're not fighting against communism. You're not fighting against the people that are sinning. You're in a spiritual battle. You're in a battle fighting the Luciferian rebellion that started in heaven. See, every time you sin... You're rebelling against the king, the true king. And you're joining the Luciferian rebellion. And Satan's got, he's got some skills. He's no match for the king. But he got a third of the angels to rebel and leave heaven. And what he will do is he will try to get you to rebel against the king. He will get you to do things that may not even be bad. They're just not kingdom. Remember that tree had fruit of the knowledge of evil, but also of the knowledge of good, right? And he wants you eaten from that because then he gets you to rebel. So we're in a spiritual war. And the only way you win that war is you have to identify what you're fighting against. And that's rebellion against the king. But Jesus had an answer for that. You see, the cool thing was when God first created the world... He gathered up all the Israelites in Exodus. They're on the mountain, and he gave them the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments were very important at that time because it was how man related to God. And here, the church, I think we've mixed up the Ten Commandments in our minds a little bit. Because if you don't understand the order of the Ten Commandments, you won't understand how this rebellion gets going. You see, the first four commandments written in stone were man's relationship to God. And the last six are man's relationship to man. If you don't keep the first four commandments, there's no way you can keep the last six. It's not a thing, according to our president. You have to keep the first four in order to be able to do the last six. And man does its best to do that, but back in the Old Testament, Israelites didn't hang. They didn't, weren't able to do it. And God had an answer for that because he knew the kingdom was there, so he sent the king. He sent his only son. And when Jesus came, he died and rose again. He became like a tuning fork. Now, in full disclosure, I'm about as musical as a piece of coal. I have no music talent whatsoever, but I appreciate good music. To the bottom wrinkles out there. That's some serious talent. And a tuning fork is what you'd use, and you get a tune. And Jesus was the metaphor tuning fork in the kingdom because he could bring all the people in the body and he could tune them and relate them and bring them into perfect harmony with God the Father. So they function as a body, as a kingdom.
And everything about the kingdom was with Jesus on earth. Remember, and the word became flesh. It's not enough to read about God and read about Christ and know his principles. I know him. I tell my kids, I don't care what you know about Jesus. I care what your relationship with him is because everything is going to flow downstream from that. I mean, Jesus, when he died and rose again, spent the next 40 days talking about one thing. What was that? The kingdom of God. And the problem at that time was Israel was a tribal people. They thought that Jesus came to establish the kingdom of Israel. Even early on in Acts, they didn't get it. And Jesus was real patient with them. But God came back, Jesus came back to establish the kingdom of God. The problem is today, in 2023, no one wants to talk about Jesus. You can talk about God all you want. I don't want to hear about Jesus. How do I know this? Well, I can tell you when President Obama was elected, he had several faith-based people come and say a prayer at his inauguration. The catch was you had to submit your prayer in writing to be approved. There was one rule. You could mention God all you want. You could not say the name of Jesus, the king. Why do you think that is? Lucifer and rebellion can't hear that name. They don't want the true king. So when you see the division in America, it's just a continuation with the rebellion that started in heaven. And if you make it any other thing, you're missing the definition. So if you want to get church... To understand the kingdom, you first have to change everyone's mind about the king. The Bible says, from your spirit will flow rivers of living water. And I, when I read that, I thought that's so coy. Because that's what I want in my life. I want my life to be rivers of living water. But I think, is that metaphoric or what's God saying? You go to Ezekiel, where does that river come from? It comes from the throne of the king. You don't think the king is real? He is real. And until you deal with the kingdom and king, you can't bring in the kingdom. We have a church today that wants to bring in the kingdom, just not the king. We have a government that wants to bring a kingdom in, but no king. And when in Matthew, when God asked Simon, he says, Simon, who do people say that I am? They say, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're this and that. Jesus says, who do you say I am, Simon? And he says, you are the Messiah. What does Messiah mean? Messiah in Hebrew means king that comes back to restore what you lost. And then Jesus looks at him and says, Simon, son of John Bartholomew, flesh and blood did not tell you that, but my father in heaven did. It gave you truth. And when he did that, you read on, he says, blessed are you, he says, and I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Because based on your recognition of the truth, I'm going to change your name, and I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say the keys to the kingdom of the church. No church keys, kingdom keys. Heaven keys. And so that gives us a great thing. When you recognize who is king, he changed his name, he reassigned him. When you recognize Jesus is king, the moment you do, you get realigned and reassigned to your purpose. We have a lot of people today wondering, why am I here? I know, because I was one of those people. I worked for every alphabet in the soup, and I didn't know who I worked for. I had the biggest identity crisis at 45 years old that you can imagine. It wouldn't look like it on the outside. I didn't know who I was on the inside. I didn't know who I was till the king spoke to me. He changed me in a second. My pronouns are Jesus is king. That describes me, period. I mean, God had it down. You know, when your card says, I am, you win. <laughs> That's truth. 
then the church is not the kingdom. Because the kingdom's so much more. Now, the church can have kingdom principles, and we can train in the church, and the church can be the salt, the leaven, the light, and that's what it should be. But the kingdom is the unseen hand of God, the supernatural. Our founders knew this. They said God rules in the affairs of men, the unseen hand of God. How do we know that? The Bible shows us King Cyrus. King Cyrus, the one, the flawed king that allowed the Jewish people to rebuild the temple and worship God. That wasn't because he read something. It was the unseen hand in the kingdom of God that moved Cyrus's heart. And you can't separate anything in the kingdom, but you got to separate the church from the kingdom today. Because a lot of people right now are running away from church because the church hurt them, a church offended them. I always ask people, why are you leaving? Well, they did this and that. So you got church hurt. Yeah. I mean, church, that, that, that's, a, that's a building full of sinners. Yeah. Church is not kingdom hurt. And we need to understand the difference. And we need to bring the church back to build the kingdom and let them know. And we need the church in us to understand. We need the keys to that kingdom. And the keys operate by the word of God and revelation. God's speaking to you. And it's there. And the only thing that can break the Luciferian rebellion, Satan's kingdom on this planet, are the method and the message of Jesus Christ. You can't improve on it. You can't improve on the message of Jesus. It's not a thing. You can adapt it to the culture. You can't improve on it. And we need to start preaching it around the world. Because our government wants a solution that's a kingdom solution without Jesus' principles. They want peace without Christ. He's our peace. There's no peace without Christ. I can tell you, I've lived all over the world. He is the tie that binds. Why is Christ the tie that binds? It's how we started this whole message. The enmity. The enmity between man and God, man and man. Jesus Christ came and he broke down the partition, the wall between man and God. I no longer have to go somewhere to worship God. I just look at the king in my heart and he's sitting at the right hand of God. That partition, that wall's broken. First four commandments. Now I can go for the next six and I can break down those walls of man because Christ, the king, is in my heart. My wife is my queen. I could not be closer to another human in the universe. And as beautiful as she is, that's not what makes her so hot. It's that Christ in me sees Christ in her. We're the same species supernaturally. You that have those marriages know what I'm talking about. It's amazing. And you can have it. Again, I told you when Jesus came in the Bible, the Jews thought they were coming for them. But Jesus answered them in Acts 1. He says, it is not for you to know the time and the season that God the Father has fixed his own authority, but you shall receive power. That was important. Because you want the kingdom to come, you have to have the power of the king. You have to have kingdom power. You cannot overthrow one kingdom without power. And Jesus is power. And where does that power come in your life? It comes through your identity with the king. That's power. Unfortunately, today we have a church that doesn't want that kind of power. But Jesus has that. It's principal power, preaching power, deliverance power, miracle power, revelation power. It takes power to overthrow earthly kingdoms. And Christ the king gives it to you. And when you have it, and you have it, and I have it, we're connected. We're no longer strangers. There's no walls between us. We are bound by the king. But Satan knows that. And that's why he attacks your identity. And remember Christ in the wilderness. Remember, Satan can get you to fall, to rebel. He's going to attack your identity because that's the power to bring him down. He did it to Christ in 1 Corinthians God talks about, I did not come to you with words, but with power. And when he was in the wilderness, Saint kept saying, you know, are you really this? Are you really that? He's trying to get him off his identity. 
well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And God says, no. He held on to his identity, which was the power. And if you want peace in this nation, that comes when Jesus is ruling in everyone's heart and not money in everyone's heart, not greed in everyone's heart, not offense, rebellion, external characteristics ruling in their heart. When Jesus is the ruler in their heart, the kingdom laws spread. And you cannot break kingdom laws without breaking yourself. Just look at today. Look at the number of people that are committing suicide. They're breaking, committing suicide because they're breaking kingdom laws. You don't break God's laws, they break you. And there's no solution without bringing the King Jesus back into that. And so we need to start with the church. We need to rally the church. We have an army out there, not an audience. God works with the remnant. But we have a lot of people in America today, the church. I heard, I heard a big church leader interviewed the other day, and he was railing on one of the candidates, and he said, well, if he wants to get elected, he's going to have to come talk to us. Because the church has some authority. Really? Because God's going to hold us to that. We're a representative republic, and we have not done well electing. And that's on us, we the people. And that's on the church. We don't work in our authority. We work in the king's. And the kingdom starts simply at baptism. It starts when you go in the water and you come out and all the dirt's left. And you tell your lost and found story. You tell on yourself. John the Baptist came saying, repent to the king's domain, to the kingdom, to the kingdom realm. Repent. When we go in the water, we come out and we tell on ourselves, Satan has nothing on us. We repent, we make restitution, we build kingdom. And so what does that look like when the kingdom comes back? Well, when the kingdom comes back, we need a lot more peace in this nation. And right now I hear a lot of leaders talking about Second Chronicles. Has anyone heard that verse, 714? I hear it all the time. All the pastors are preaching my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, I think this is important. That's great content. But if you don't have the context, you won't understand the king and the kingdom. Because the context is this came out of a dream and a prayer, a revelation that Solomon had. And what it meant is if you get taken into captivity, and I'm pretty good Comfortable saying here in California, you guys are in captivity. If you will stretch forth your hand to his house, to the king, and it says, and you humble yourself, and you pray, and you seek his face, the king's face, and you turn away from your wicked ways, you repent. The Hebrew word for repent is a picture to burn the house I used to live in. Then you get your nation healed. Because remember, you can't improve on the method of God. And we've all sinned and erred. But if you repent and come back to his house, his house, the kingdom, is his ways and his methods, his patterns. The kingdom of God is the message of God. But the house of God is the method of God. The kingdom of God is the message and the house is the method. But to have that, the method and the message, you have to have the family because that's the center of everything. You have to return to God's living pattern. When Elijah, at the end of the Old Testament, is so frustrated, he's like, what's going to happen? And God says, I will send you someone to turn the hearts of fathers to sons and sons to fathers. It's family Father, the restrainer, mother, the nurturer, the family, his ways, his pattern, his nature, his kingdom. That's why when the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? That's pretty significant. You're asking the king, how do we pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He didn't say, get saved, live on earth. Use your confession as a moral laboratory and then hit kingdom when you die. He said, 
on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is now. And the kingdom will come when the word of God is done. And the way you do the word of God is you get the king in your heart. And you get the power to live the word and his moral righteousness. I know it's real because I see it every day. So how do we know the kingdom comes? You know the kingdom comes when pastors don't throw down the shepherd's crooks but start nurturing their flocks. When they call sin by its first name, where they love the person and they hate the sin. They love what Jesus loves and they hate what Jesus hates. But they always love the person. The kingdom will come back when husbands love sacrificially their wives. And when wives love and respect their husband. The kingdom comes back when children obey their parents and parents discipline their children. The kingdom comes back when businessmen treat their employees fairly. Because the kingdom is the king's rule in the hearts of men. And it happens now. And it can. But the problem today is we have kingdom rule without the kingdom power to keep the king's rules in the hearts of men. We're passing laws today in this nation without the ability to keep them in our hearts. We have iniquity. That's when you call good bad and bad good. And that's a problem. We have books that are full of laws, but people that can't keep them. And the king, Jesus, came to earth to show us how to live, and the word became flesh. We have no excuse. Think about this. The word became flesh. The genius of this. I mean, God is so amazing. The kingdom in the king. The kingdom is that the king lives inside you. I am the power behind my own man, my own command. Christ in me, the power, the hope of glory. You just got to die to you and let him live. You want to see this world change quick? Founders knew it. They talked about it. You got to have the kingdom. Remember, the kingdom is not by observation, the Bible says. The kingdom is in you. Repent to the kingdom. And in order to repent to the kingdom... I guess the kingdom has to exist, so it's here now. But we have a problem. We have people that want to substitute things for the kingdom of God. The definition of antichrist is just substitute Christ. And right now, we have man that's created substitutes for everything. We've naturalized the unnatural. We're seeing it in our schools. We're seeing it in our everyday thing. As believers, we look at this and go, how can you call a man a woman and a woman a man? How can you mutilate children in the name of morality? But they're doing it. They've naturalized the unnatural. They're living in antichrist, a substitute king. There's a story of a guy that had a bicycle with crooked handlebars, and he could ride it everywhere. And someone thought they'd do him a solid, and they straightened the handlebars and made him perfect. The problem was when the guy got on a handlebar bike that was straight, he couldn't ride it because he was so used to riding it with the crooked handlebar. We in the church have become anesthetized to the culture. And we're allowing things that God says no and going, eh, well, it's not that bad, is it? I mean, at least they come back. They'll come back when you, when you give them a boundary. They'll come back because they're miserable in their own life and they need the Holy Spirit to tell them and they can't do that without the king in you working supernaturally with that power through them. Because when you speak and the cause of the kingdom speaks, it speaks through you with that power. And without the king and kingdom, people are always gonna wonder, have I done enough? I, the one thing I see, if you look at social media or anything, is everyone's asking questions. Have I done enough? Am I pretty? Am I cool? What do you think of this? Right? On Twitter, everything. What do you think? What do you think? Satan always puts a question mark in your life. And a lot of question marks give you anxiety, fear, worry. The king takes that question mark, straightens it out to an exclamation point. You are accepted. You're in the kingdom. You have power. When Jesus was baptized, he had never done anything in his entire ministry 
We don't really know much about him. He's baptized by John the Baptist. Says the heavens open up and the father wrote, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He was already accepted. The king was accepted before he did anything. Trust me, you're accepted. Let the king in your life live by his laws. To sum it up, you you can't fight against the king. And if you want victory, you can't fight without him. Because God has put in you the hope of glory, his son, if you let him in. And it's a simple solution. And I love this. Right now in our nation, we are divided by race, sex, ideology. And Colossians 3.11 puts all that to bear. It says, in it, meaning the kingdom, there is no room for Greek and Jew, racial distinction. Circumcision and uncircumcised, religious ritual distinctions. Barbarian and scathian, cultural distinctions. Slave or free man, socioeconomic distinctions. And it goes on in Galatians and talks about male or female, sex distinctions. And there's only male and female. The Bible will be 7,000 pages if we tried to write it today with all our distinctions. It's the simplest solution. There's no room. It's profound Because we're all one basic humanity made by God in his image, designed to have the king living in our hearts, building the kingdom and letting it come. And some of you out there today, God's putting this on my heart. You feel like your background, your pedigree, your, your cultural or genetic is not perfect. Maybe there's someone or someone in your life or parents or whatever. God never worried about that. In the genealogy of Jesus, it says that he, you have Solomon, is in Jesus' genealogy. And Solomon was the son, it says in the Bible, of um, David and Uriah's wife. So in the genealogy of Jesus, you have adultery and murder. But he didn't look at that. He knew the past didn't define him. He knew his earthly past didn't define his father in heaven and kingdom future. Didn't pay attention to it. So why do we? He knew that it didn't define him. So if you think for whatever reason your blood isn't perfect or you're not right, the king comes in and gives you a transfusion at that moment and you join the family. And the family up there is a whole lot bigger than your family down here. Your father in heaven rules all. So the kingdom is interested in the future. The now and the future, it's not interested in the past. You learn from the past, but the kingdom is not past, it's future. Jesus talked about it, and you're to live it. Again, I say I like to read, so I'll close with this. The kingdom is powerful and the kingdom is so important, but that's because the king is everything. Everyone wants to be close to nobility. In California, I think you guys got a couple royals crawling around here somewhere. And uh, they're not in really high esteem, but you know, whatever. But do you realize that you can have the highest king inside of you giving you power and building his kingdom? And when I see someone on the street, you know when you meet another brother or sister in Christ, that king-to-king relationship is supernaturally cool. It's weird. My son says it's wholly weird. <laughs> Speaking of weird, I, like I said, I'll close with this. I was looking at up kingdom stuff, and I came across this transcript of some goofy guy that spoke at a conference in 1975. Nothing really well-known or spectacular, but the name was weird, Ern Baxter. He spoke on the kingdom, and I read the first part of this transcript, and it shook me. Now, remember, the kingdom's unshakable. God is unchanging, but his revelations will shake you to your core. And Baxter said, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom will come. There is none before him, there is none beside him. He takes orders from none. He was created by none. He is life, self-existent. There is nothing in him That should be out of him. There's nothing out of him that should be in him. He remembers nothing because he has forgotten nothing. He learns nothing because there is nothing he does not know. 
He does not need to know because he holds all truth simultaneously. He is the God of the eternal now. He can look at human history from the beginning or in the end or in the middle. For all things are known to him. Psalms 103 tells us the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. If you want to fix the problems today, bring the king back. If you want to see the church become relevant in changing this nation, bring the king back. If you want to see marriages that are broken be healed, bring the king back. Bring the kingdom back. If you want to see your nation go back to being a light, then bring the kingdom back. Because the kingdom's in you. You're it. All you guys standing here. You're part of the kingdom. And God works best with small numbers. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you. We worship you, Lord. You're our king. Lord Jesus, I just pray that your Holy Spirit moves in everyone's heart. That they recognize not only your principles, but your power, which is only through knowing your person. Because you, we live by your grace and for your glory. We live for the one true king of an unshakable kingdom and an unchanging person in a very changing world. So we ask for your peace that passes all understanding, for strength to do your will, so that your kingdom come and will is done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.